630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Okay, so the World Junior Selection Camp in Red Deer going into a two-week shutdown. That was, uh, it's going to be two weeks from this past Monday because of, well, there have been two confirmed tests, and we had Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet on the show in the first half hour, and he says uh, he believes that there have been more than two, some of the information he has received, more than two positive tests in Red Deer affecting the World Junior roster and possibly staff. So that means this Saturday and Sunday, the U of A Golden Bears will not play the Canadian World Juniors. Uh, those games would have been on TSN, so those games will not happen. Diego Maradona, one of the all-time greats in the world of soccer, passing away at the age of 60. The Edmonton Oilers have signed defenseman Philip Kemp to a three-year entry-level contract, plays for Yale, except they're not having a season. He was taken in the seventh round in 2017, and Edmonton's Johnny Boychuk has retired as the result of an eye injury he suffered last season. You heard, uh, you heard uh, Jake DeBrusque and I discussing Johnny Boychuk in the last half hour. Okay, so on the, the day of the American election, we had this gentleman on the show, uh, 11 years in the Canadian Football League for Peter Diakowski. He ran in the Canadian federal election in 2019, and we talked mostly about that, but Peter's had a very uh, diverse and interesting life and career. So I said, Peter, we got to have you on the show again. And uh, today, when I was looking through the headlines this morning, I saw that Nick Saban, one of the all-time great coaches in in American football, I'm not just going to limit it to college football, uh, has has COVID-19. So the connection for Pete Dykowski, who we welcome back to the show, is that he played for Nick Saban at LSU earlier in Saban's career. Peter, welcome back to the show, man. How are you doing? Hey, doing great. Better than ever. Two times in one month. We're just going to bring you on every few weeks. How does that sound? Uh, you know, it sounds fantastic. Can't wait for the next one. <laughs> well, we love talking to you, and uh, I, I really enjoyed your perspective of politics the last time we had you on. Well, like, we just touched briefly on, uh, on on your NCAA career last time. So, first of all, tell us, before we get to maybe, you know, Saban playing for him and any relationship you might have had, how does the, how does a Canadian kid get noticed to go to one of the preeminent American programs? Well, you know what? I had a, a lot of good luck uh, along the way. I can't just credit to be in a start in high school. It's, you know, I, I've got to be appreciative of the fact that I went to Vancouver College, home of the Fighting Irish, the greatest team in high school football. And that gave me a, you know, a, a head start uh, that a lot of kids don't get. Although I didn't start football till grade ten, I was a bit of a late, a late bloomer in that regard. But I had a great coach there, Todd Bernetti, still there, fantastic coach, runs a great program. He's an American, so he had a great understanding of how the U.S. college system and recruiting worked. He knew how to get me noticed. The important thing is, you know, and this. Is Back then, you were sending on VHS tapes. You had to get the tapes watched. You could mail tapes wherever you want. You can look at the address for all of the coaching offices. But you've got to get them watched after you put in the machine. And so he's very good at that. But now today, it's easier than ever for a young uh, high school player to get his film around. You just upload it online. But again, the challenge is getting it watched. So my my high school coach was very, uh, very good at making sure my film got noticed. So, yeah. Got to give myself some credit too for playing incredibly well in high school. Look at this—you've got me telling high school stories. 
<laughs> well, why not? Well, that, you have to do that to get to college. So when you're recruited to go to LSU, would have you had any... Would have you had any interaction with Nick Saban before you became a Tiger? Like, did he recruit you, or do other guys do that? Yeah, he's actually a really good, a, a very, very good recruiter. Uh, there's a, there's a, a cameo they had in the blind side, uh, and he's recruiting this uh, an offensive lineman in the movie, and uh, he was known for being a, a great recruiter. So, you know, I actually remember uh, him phoning our house, and. When I was growing up, I had no idea what U.S. college football was. I thought I was going to play UBC. I actually, in grade 11, I did the uh, UBC Thunderbirds spring training camp. Um, it might have impacted my NCAA eligibility, but in the CIS, they allowed high school students to go do um, spring camp with the, with the team. So I did spring training camp in grade 11 with UBC, and I thought I was going to go to UBC. Uh, and I had no idea what LSU was. Aside from you know knowing where Louisiana was on the map, so I had you know Nick Saban called called my house, was, was, and my my high school football coach had to explain that you know it's I gotta take it I had to take it seriously. It's kind of a kind of a big deal, and I had a great opportunity, and I, I should make the most of it. So LSU flew me down for a recruiting visit. Uh, I had a few few recruiting trips. I went down to Oregon State, Boise State, Eastern Washington was my first visit. That was my high school coach's alma mater, and I think him getting them interested in me help these other bigger schools get interested in me because what yardstick do they have to measure a Canadian kid? So once they see, you know, one, uh, there was a double school interested, it sort of maybe gave them permission to, to have a look at this kid. So I, I flew down to LSU, had a fantastic time. They, they, they do know how to have a good time in Louisiana. You might've heard that. And, <laughs> and so uh, you, you get, you know, you have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the head coach. And he, you know, he grows you in his office, and and I'm like, being alone in a room with Nick Saban, that that that's an intimidating experience at any age, let alone at 17 years old. And so that was uh, that was that was something. But they offered me a scholarship. I, I took it. I jumped. I've never seen anything like it in my life. But I went down there. I saw the facilities, the program. They have a live tiger, but they had an actual tiger. Like most places, just have a tiger painted on a wall somewhere. And I'm very proud to have played. 10 years for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the, the greatest team in the CFL by far. But we don't even have a real Tiger. But, uh, it, 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 was, uh, it was exciting. It was a big change coming from Vancouver down to Baton Rouge. So what does Nick Saban say to you when you're doing a one-on-one -on -one interview? Like, is he, is he trying to sell you on LSU, or is he trying to see if you're worthy of being added to the roster? Well, like, the greatest salesman... Uh, I think I'll have in common. He's he's not schmoozing you. He's not trying to do a, a snow job on you. He's he's grinning, but this is just a, a, a way about him. You want to uh, you want to make him happy. And he's very very demanding. Now I will say this: he's a lot kinder and gentler when you're getting recruited than once you've signed on the dotted line and you're in the program. But uh, you know, it's it's interesting in. College football, they give you a full-ride scholarship. They can't take it back, you know, outside of gross misconduct. You don't get yourself arrested. You, they're stuck with you. So once they've given you the scholarship, there's almost like a feeling of resentment. Now you're taking up a spot. You better prove yourself. But, you know, when they're wooing you, it's still quite, quite pleasant. 
Peter Dijakowski joining us on Inside Sports, flashing back to playing for Nick Saban at LSU. So how did, once you're there and you're on the O-line, obviously you have a position coach. So how much interaction would have you had with Saban as a player? And uh, what was the nature of the interactions that, that you did have? Oh, okay. so, so first off, I've got to tell you about my position coach down there. George Yarno, my freshman year, and he's the O-line coach who recruited me. He played about a dozen, 12 or 13 years in the NFL. Was just an incredible, incredible person. We would start meetings with about 10 minutes of story time every day. He just had the best stories. A great nurturing coach. He's from Washington State. And I think... He saw me at King Vancouver. He wanted to. He saw. He saw the potential. And he wanted to to nurture me, not to say he was gentle or anything. And he had a real game day switch. I've never seen anyone uh, sit with a game day switch like like he did. And, and he was, you know, I, I would say um, mid forties by that point. But he would still go in the gym, still three plates on the bench press, and you know, crank out three fifteen ten times without warming up. Just incredible guy. One of a kind. One of a kind. So. He's my own line coach. Um, Nick Saban, though, he's a head coach, master delegator. You know, it, it, if you look at Nick Saban's coaching tree, like the coaches we had there, his coordinators, Jimbo Fisher, is now the head coach at, um, uh, he was at Florida State, but he's at Texas A&M now. Um, Will Muschap, who um, uh, I think he just got fired the other day, but he was at South Carolina and he was at Florida before that head coach, and he was a D coordinator. Uh, we had special teams coordinator was Derek Dooley, who was the head coach at, uh, um, I want to say the volunteers most recently. Uh, we had a, a, a GA, uh, who's the, uh, the head coach now for the Jets. Who's the head coach for the New York Jets? Adam Gase. Gase, he's our Great. GA. So this, the guy's an incredible, uh, incredible delegate. has fantastic stuff, but he still knows literally everything about every position. He's a true guru, especially when it comes to defense and defensive backs. And unfortunately for them, he was with them all practice, every practice. And it was very, very demanding to be a DB uh, at LSU. That was his position. He played that back at Kent State. But we would have two meetings with him a year in his office. You'd have a meeting after the season. You'd have one at the end of the off season. And in that meeting in his office, he would coach you top to bottom and tell you exactly what he wanted to see uh, you get better at. I, I would be in his office, alone in his office. Uh, and he had a, by the way, he had a button on his desk that controlled the office door. So he would let you in and let you out by pressing a button on his desk. Isn't that amazing? So anyways, I'd be in his office and he'd be doing like kick sets, like O-line blocking techniques, you know, and raising his voice, like literally yelling at his office about some, you know, little, uh, gap in, in technique that he wanted to see better by next football season. But just an incredible, uh, incredible coach, great motivator, too. I remember uh, my freshman off season, we were doing speed improvement drills, sprint training drills uh, in morning conditioning. You know, six in the morning, and they just run you to death. It was, it was amazing. It was fantastic. One of the worst experiences of my life, but incredible all the same because they, they push you to your very limit. And they stopped the whole drill up the whole thing to, to just rip me for running with my fist clenched because he said it was too tight. I got to loosen up. And he, you know, he told me to, to put my thumb and my index finger together to make me looser. So you can imagine, you know, an 18-year-old kid getting yelled at to relax. Uh, but it worked. 
and, and, and I ran like that ever since. You know, he only, he, he's one of the greatest um, correctors. He only has to correct you once. But uh, great, great coach, very knowledgeable at every single position. I've, I've had other coaches who, you know, don't really um, pay much at all to, 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 you know, guys at other, uh, other positions that they're not really focused on. But he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was very special. Well, but wow, that's an amazing story about making your run with your uh, so your hands were clenched, and, and so you'd be loosened up. So, and then 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 did he not leave LSU while you were still there? Uh, he did, yeah. So, so we won a national championship in two thousand and three, uh, and it was the first national championship that LSU has won since fifty eight. He was responsible for a big turnaround at the program. Um, did a great job, and he he went to. Um, Miami after another season to coach at the Dolphins. But you know, while he was at LSU, he controlled every single variable. And that was his philosophy. And any variable, you have such a big budget there. You can, you can control anything you want. So he would insist that every single possible variable be controlled. And he's very particular, too, about maximizing his time and his focus. So he, he would drive from the football offices to the practice facility every day. He had this very nice two-door Mercedes. And he'd pull in. There was a parking spot just for him at the most convenient place, and they put a gate in the fence around the practice field just for him. Now, uh, since then, they've, of course, built a whole facility with offices at the practice facility. But back then, they had offices by the stadium. So we'd drive over, two-minute drive. And while we were at practice, one of the uh, equipment managers, it was his job to back out Saban's car and turn it around so that after practice, David could pull straight out from his parking spot. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's well, hey, when you win and they're paying you that much to coach, they want you to be comfortable, I guess. So there you go. Well, yeah, and that would be, you know, 30, you know, 30 seconds wasted every day. That, that adds up, you know, that's extra, that's an extra clip of film every single day. That adds up. Whenever we had whenever we had water breaks in practice, there was an equipment manager. It was it was his job, an assistant uh, on the athletic therapy staff. It was his job to come up to Saban and present Saban with a disposable cup and open a fresh bottle of Gatorade and pour it into the cup. They would have a sip, and then if he was really thirsty, they'd pour a little bit more in the cup, and then he'd take the cup away. So you know, they, he wasn't taking you know, one of the uh, the squeeze bottles that we all had to use. Fresh, fresh bottle put in a, a fresh disposable cup in his hand. Very efficient. Pete, can you just hang on the line for a couple minutes? I got to get a break in, but I, I want to fit, fit in one or two questions. Can you just hang tight for a couple minutes? Yeah, yeah. More with Peter Diakowski talking about uh, Nick Saban when we get back. year CFL offensive lineman Peter Diakowski on the show as uh, we're talking about his days with LSU playing for Nick Saban. Uh, Saban, of course, now with Alabama and uh, has tested positive for COVID. Peter, thanks for, for going down memory lane with us here. So uh, just just to fit one more in here with you, um, did you did you stay in touch? Like, does Nick Saban ever follow up and say, like, good job playing in the CFL or, or is it just uh, he's gone and that's the end of the relationship? He sends me a Christmas card every year. 
Really? No, no, not actually. Okay. <laughs> so, so in other words. No, I, I, I actually, if I reached out to him uh, last last year, I uh, was most recently because um, I was running the elections. So I wanted to see if I could get an endorsement from you know greatest college football player of all time. I thought I'd be good on the website. And uh, he said, he, you know, he stays out of politics, but he wished me the uh, the best of luck. And you know, I, I needed I needed a lot of luck. I didn't get quite enough, but uh, it was uh, the sentiment was um, the sentiment was nice. But you know what? I uh, I feel like he's always with me, simply because of just how seared into uh, my memory a lot of the uh, the coaching points are. It's it it is just amazing the impression that he makes. He's a a great, great college football coach. Now, he wasn't a great pro football coach. He might have got better over the years. He would have had to, I think, spend more time and, and adapt more, but he didn't get that much time uh, after some, you know, lack of success in two or three years in Miami. Alabama, you know, backed up a truck full of money, and he had no choice but to take the contract they were offering. And I knew as soon as he went there, he was going to be right there because again you have a great system unlimited budget more or less and he implements a system he, he recruits really well and he knows how to demand absolutely everything that a college player can possibly produce and he gets it and you know his success beats for himself he's one of the i think the only other coach to win a, a national there's only one other coach to win national championships at two different schools, you know, to be able to re uh, replicate that success uh, is, it, it, you know, it's exceptional. Uh, he's extremely, extremely rare talent. So I, and he's done a nicer, gentle, uh, gentle man, but very, very effective. And, you know, to win, like you win playing for him, you can handle uh, a coach who might not be so, uh, so nice and gentle. I've got a lot of stories that I can't tell you, unfortunately. <laughs> Because there could be, you know, kids listening, or uh, you know, you know, or, or, or other people who could be uh, could be offended. But uh, very, very talented, effective uh, motivator. And so I, I'm quite fortunate that I got to spend three years uh, with him as my coach. Well, we'll find a form for those stories at some point uh, in, in our maybe, careers maybe here. Great cup, maybe a great cup next. You guys come into Hamilton if you if you make it out here. We're hosting. Yeah, as long as there you go. The season again. Uh, Peter, I, again, we'll, we'll we'll have you on down the road because it's never enough time. But but thanks for taking the Nick Saban angle with us uh, today. Hope you're doing well, man, and all the best. Hey, thanks for having me on. And you know, again, he's got coronavirus, so my condolences to coronavirus. It's going to be a very tough time for it uh, until it can. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline get itself out of uh, Nick Saban's system because I'm sure he's not being gentle. There we go. That is Peter Diakowski live on Inside Sports.
right. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. There will not be Thursday night football tomorrow in the NFL. The game between the Ravens and the Steelers has been switched to Sunday. It'll be 11.15 a.m. Mountain Time on NBC. This is because of some uh, COVID issues. It's the 13th game postponed or moved this season in the NFL. So tomorrow's Thanksgiving schedule will have Detroit home to Houston. Both those teams are sub 500 and Washington will play Dallas. Both those teams are sub 500. The Sunday nighter remains the Bears and the Packers, which uh, could be a decent game. No games this weekend for the Alberta Golden Bears hockey team. They were supposed to play the Canadian World Junior Selection Camp Saturday and Sunday at 6 in Red Deer. Those games called off. The uh, World Junior players and staff have gone into 14-day quarantine because of a couple of positive tests among players on Monday. And uh, you heard Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet earlier on this show saying that he believes that there is it is a larger number than two now that have positive tests in that camp. So uh, no games for the Golden Bears coming up this weekend. That is disappointing. All right, uh, no games for minor hockey kids. What's going on with hockey Edmonton? General Manager Steve Hogel joins us now. Steve, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Uh, I, I'm a little shell-shocked, but I'm doing good, Reed. How about yourself? Well, I, I'm doing okay. I appreciate you checking in. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of discussion on this show and other sports shows for about the last eight months has been about sports not happening or rescheduling or trying to figure out <laughs> how they want to make it work. Look, I, 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 I have a, a, you know, a handful of friends who are hockey moms or dads and, uh, and they've been frustrated because uh, I, I've definitely heard we have felt as parents and as teams, we've been doing the right thing. And uh, our kids have sort of lost the ability to participate uh, lately. And then another announcement yesterday. Where's Hockey Edmonton at, Steve? Well, we are sharing that frustration of our players, our parents, and 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 it's been tough. You know, as you say, you know, we took uh, our our uh, two week shutdown. You know, uh, we took our medicine, and and uh, we said we'll do our part. Absolutely, we got a global pandemic going on. But why are we getting shut down while well, these other hot spots don't get touched? It is what it is. So we we moved on. And so we see this this latest session come down with the premier yesterday, and we're looking at it very closely. And our schedulers, God bless them, had just come up with this schedule that was based on the resumption of play uh, November 18th. We realized that was optimistic, but that schedule goes out the window. Now we're looking three weeks down the road. Uh, so they're drawing up a schedule for that. But is that going to happen? Well, the kids aren't supposed to be going to school. So how do we play hockey when kids aren't in school? So there are more questions than answers at this point, And we're still searching for those answers. Steve, just remind everybody and, and me included as, as I'm someone who does not have children. So therefore I'm not immersed in the minor hockey world. What were some of the, the regulations and, and the safety procedures that, that really, you know, the parents and the players had bought into to keep the rink as a healthy place? Yeah, you betcha. So, so in terms of players going to the rink, uh, they could go there no more than a half hour before their game time. They had to have their masks on until they actually put their helmets on. Uh, they go out onto the ice. They're going to see referees who wore masks uh, other than for blowing a whistle. Uh, the parents couldn't arrive until game time, just before game time. 
they would get checked in because we had to respect the capacities of the rinks and those capacities were set down by the city of Edmonton. They were 25% of capacity of the rink to a maximum of 100. So our teams had uh, point people to manage the, 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 the gate, so to speak, and they would check in people to make sure that we were respecting those attendance uh, capacity limits and that parents were wearing masks and that they were social distancing. So we had put all these measures into place and more, uh, but that gives you a little bit of an idea of them. And, and we were actually quite proud of the way we had kept the numbers down. And, and so everybody was doing their part uh, it was what it was, and uh, we, were, we were getting by, and, and everybody uh, wanted to do more and get back to a regular season, but, but we had to respect the process. And, and, and at that time, we were doing cohort hockey. So, so a team would go into a cohort with one other team to a maximum of 50 people. You'd play that team for two or three games. Uh, you'd go into isolation for two weeks so you could go into a new cohort and play a new team. So we were getting by, we were making it work. As I say, the, the numbers, we, we were proud how few numbers uh, we had. Quite often uh, we'd lose a, a player, but it was quite often due to an exposure at school uh, and not hockey. So, um, you know, we saw a couple teams that had to go into isolation. We lost a couple of games to be candid, uh, but by and large, the numbers were very low. Steve Hogle from Hockey Edmonton joining us tonight. Premier Kenny spoke about an exemption. I, I believe the Alberta Junior Hockey League is looking into uh, whether they could could apply for that and then they could resume their schedule. Is there any way that, that Hockey Edmonton could make that work? We're, we're trying to find out exactly what they mean uh, by the exemption. What do you have to do to qualify for the exemption? I see Dr. Hinshaw today said uh, any exemption for sports would require aggressive testing and other measures in place and they have to be applied broadly and the measures will be difficult for many. So it sounds to me uh, like a, quite a comprehensive checklist for health and safety uh, to be able to qualify for that exemption. Um, and, and so accessing um, that high tech gear for uh, that rapid daily testing would would likely be a prerequisite and uh, and obviously some significant costs that would go with it by the sounds of it. We don't have that clarification yet. I'm reading between the lines. Okay. Um, so does this mean nobody's on the ice? Can you, what, what if you wanted to do like a one-on-one -on -one or maybe like could a really, really small group of players somehow work? Well, that, that is one other area that we're trying to get clarified. It does appear by the guidelines that, that a player could go for a one-on-one -on -one skill session or a one-on-one -on -one power skating session. And looking at the guidelines put out by the province, it does look like that is allowed. We're looking to confirm that uh, because again, we wanna play by the rules. We wanna do our part to get this pandemic in the rear view mirror finally. Um, so it does look like that is okay, but uh, even outside, you know, as the new uh, guidelines, the, the new rules uh, indicate your, your gathering is to a max of 10 and you have to social distance. So it puts a whole new wrinkle. We, we did have the green light for teams previously to go outside and, and, and do things together, but uh, that's been severely limited as well now. Okay, you mentioned your, your schedulers, so I just wanna circle back to that. It, like, is there any possibility, okay, so you 
you, you play into April or even May to try. Like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that maybe in the new year we get more back to normal and league games and all that kind of stuff. Could could Hockey Edmonton make that work? Would there be the ice? Would there be the the will with the parents and the players to extend the season so you still get closer to a, a regular length season in? It, it's a great question um, that requires quite a few answers. Um, some we have, some we don't yet. Um, but bottom line is, is yes, we're looking at the very possibility of extending our season into the spring. Uh, our schedulers are, are looking at that uh, right now. Uh, we, we have mentioned and taken that up with uh, our friends at the City of Edmonton who have been absolutely fabulous to work with during this time. Uh, so, so they're looking at spring users, summer users, and, and we realize there's a trickle-down effect, but we're in exceptional circumstances here. So that is a very real possibility, and, and we want to gauge the interest of membership to see if they would be willing to take that on. And the other thing that we want to ask them too is once we finally do get back to playing, do you have the appetite for a more rigorous schedule where whereby you might be playing uh, two or three games a week um, the way the schedule would have called for it, but would you like to look at, at four skates a week uh, to make up for the lost season due to the pandemic? So, so everything is on the table and, and we're exploring everything fast and hard, but, but correctly as well. And, and wanting again, to make sure that we're doing everything safely and respecting all these health measures that are in place. Yeah. Okay. Well, Steve, thanks for, for giving us an update. Obviously this affects, you know, thousands of, of families uh, around the city. So, I mean, tens of thousands. So I am glad we got an update here and, and I know you're still working on some stuff. I hope there's uh I, I just hope everybody gets going. <laughs> I know the kids well. want to play and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's sports value. And look, of course, nothing trumps safety, but I, I know sports is valuable to have during this time. So we appreciate the update. Yeah, no, really appreciate the opportunity. And, you, and you're right. We just want to get those kids playing again. And obviously it's not only good physically, but mentally as well. And, and to be able to sort of jump on your show and, and, and share this on your platform is really invaluable. So we really appreciate the opportunity to speak to our players and our families through you, Reed. Yeah, anytime, Steve, for sure. That's Steve Hogel, general manager of Hockey Edmonton. So they're trying to figure out if they can find a way to keep going, even if it's with one-on-one -on -one instruction or, or really small groups. And as he talked about late in that interview, perhaps they extend the season. Let's say they can get back on the ice in December or maybe in January. Can you have a season that goes into April or March? So uh, you're, you're getting kids the ice time or close to the ice time that they would have had in a normal year. Just some things to, to keep an eye on. And I know uh, we have hockey, minor hockey parents and uh, maybe the odd player listening to the show as well. Actually, I'm really good with uh, the Timbits, the, the, the Timbits demographic for inside sports is actually uh, huge. Those kids love inside sports for sure. Got a text here from former D-man Mark, who may or may not love the show. He says, good evening, Reed. I don't know all the nuances of the agreement the NHLPA and NHL reached earlier this year. To be honest, I don't care. The reality is simple. The players are quasi-business owners. They have a revenue-sharing agreement of 50-50. This agreement allows for an $80-plus million salary cap. The league hasn't been able to meet revenue expectations, so the players have had money held back in escrow. This season, if there is a season, revenue won't meet or be even close to meeting expectations. Therefore, escrow should be over 50%. 
Do the players seriously expect to be paid out their full salaries deferred over time on revenues never received? Last time I looked, you can't make payroll unless you have revenue. Call me crazy, but I think they need someone to stop blowing smoke up their butts and tell them how business works. That is from former D-man Mark. Well, I, I, you certainly you make a lot of great points that I would agree with, but they would argue, well, we signed this agreement. And uh, it's up to everybody to try to make it work. And that's and yes, they do think that if they defer, they can get all or most of what they deferred back. And that's why they don't want to put anything into escrow. But but I, but I understand the general sentiment of your text. And um, I, I think it's a pretty good point overall. 780-496-0063. If you would like to chime in, uh, I, I don't know if this person is uh, listing, but I believe we have uh, a young man by the name of Joshua celebrating his 22nd birthday today. Joshua, if you're out there, happy birthday. You're 22, prime of your life, I guess. I don't know. Maybe your prime's going to be in your 50s. Uh, that's, that sounded depressing now that I put it that way. No, Josh, no you're, doing, you're, you're doing great. <laughs> you're, you're doing great, Joshua. Joshua, yeah. happy birthday. Don't listen Follow to a single dreams. thing he says. Follow your dreams, <laughs> we believe <Joshua>. in you. <laughs> you can be an astronaut if you want. She got a message tonight from someone listening in Spain. Cool. Which is, which is pretty cool. They were listening online at 2 in the morning in Spain. And uh, they sent me a picture. <laughs> this is great. They said no canned hams here, and then they sent me a picture, a bunch of uh, like full pigs who have been slaughtered on display at a at a supermarket. Lovely. <laughs> like it's it's the full pig, a head and everything. It's not cuts of pork or ham. It is the full pig behind glass, and I guess you just go up and pick which one you want. Anyway, well, that was kind of a meandering uh, last couple of minutes. Let's take a commercial. <laughs> this is what I get for giving out canned hams. I get photos of slaughtered whole pigs in a supermarket in Spain. And now Daryl sends me a picture of some bacon in a frying pan. Mm, I'm going to take a close. Bacon. <laughs> to take a close. Can I, I can't zoom in on your picture, Daryl. I think you got, I believe you have a Don Cherry bobblehead jar of HP sauce. Uh, oh, that'd be good. I think it's a Molson beer, so I can't see the whole logo. I think it's a Molson, some kind of spice, I believe. Oh, no, I think you might have three different jars of spices there. And there's some kind of kitchen utensil in the background. I, I can't it, Is it something holding knives mm-hmm. or kitchen scissors, maybe? I don't know. Daryl. Now, now, this is now people know they can send pictures to our text line. That's that's great. Making me hungry. Well, get out some bacon when you get home. Well, you cut down on the bacon. What did you lose, like 60 pounds total the last few years? Yeah, over the last few years, about 60, 65 pounds, maybe even an even 68. I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, oh, good I for you. I have to check it for sure. But I think it's. I think we're looking at about 60 to 70 pounds or so. So, and how, Was it all diet for you, or what, what else did you do? Uh, diet and just an uptake in physical activities, Reed. Uh, I think um, 
It was actually your buddy, Courtney, that posted on Twitter a few weeks ago, what have you been doing physically during the pandemic or have you found something during the pandemic that, you know, gets you going? And I uh, said, well, I've bought a uh, uh, and installed a just a stationary bike and just go home and ride that a couple of hours or an hour each day or whatever. And uh, yeah, it seems to be doing a difference so far, so. Good man. Well, yeah. good for sticking with it. I'm proud of you, Kellen. That's Kellen Thanks, Kennedy. Man. No game Saturday. No game Saturday, Sunday. U of A against Canadian World Juniors at the selection camp in Red Deer. Uh, the World Junior staff and players in quarantine after a couple of positive tests with players earlier in the week. And Jeff Merrick, uh, Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet on the show earlier said that uh, he has heard there are, are more than just the two positive tests. So we will we'll keep an eye on that story. By the way, all 26 on-ice officials for the uh, men's uh, World Juniors coming up in Edmonton are going to be from Canada. They, they had to limit the pool to the host country because of uh, the risk of spreading COVID-19. Johnny Boychuk, Edmonton native, New York Islanders defenseman, retiring after 13 years in the NHL. He suffered an eye injury last season in a game against the Montreal Canadiens. And Diego Maradona, one of the all-time greats in soccer, played for Argentina, has passed away at the age of 60. Legendary performance in the 1986 World Cup. Philip Kemp, drafted by the Oilers, Seventh round in 2017, he plays for Yale in the Ivy League, who canceled its season back on November 12th. He signs a three-year entry-level contract. Kemp was on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer talking about the current challenges. I mean, it's been a crazy time. It's just crazy for the world, too. Um, so I hope everyone's staying healthy, staying safe. Uh, didn't think I was going to have to sign right now. Uh, I was hoping to finish out the year, play with my brothers for a bit longer. But obviously, it's a crazy world. The pandemic took the season, too. So it's kind of, I don't know, making lemonade out of lemons. But I'm super excited, and I'm super pumped. Kemp also told Bob who his NHL comparables are. Growing up, I always loved Dan Girardi, played for the Rangers. Um, I just loved his game, loved what he did for the team. A guy I kind of want to model my game after is a guy like Rob Scuderi. Um, I think he just plays winning hockey. Um, and I think sometimes the best defensemen aren't that noticeable. They're quiet, they control the game, and I think that's someone I can be. All right, a little bit there from uh, Philip Kemp. You can get more on him on on uh, 630shed.com, globalnews.ca. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, no Thursday nighter tomorrow in the NFL. Ravens-Steelers move to 11.15 a.m. Mountain Time on Sunday because of some COVID issues with the team. So there will just be two games tomorrow on uh, American Thanksgiving. Neither one is uh, overly appealing to watch, though I guess with records of three and seven, both Washington and Dallas still in the hunt for first place in the NFC East, which would be uh, an automatic playoff spot. Houston three and seven at Detroit four and six is the early game that'll kick off at ten thirty tomorrow. Uh, well, we'll see what we're gonna do. Um, we might we, should, we might get Stoffer on. I got, I'm gonna have to write a quiz for Stoffer. My goodness, that's exciting. I'm gonna make a note here, Bob. Stoffer. All right. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Uh, I really appreciate it. We got you the updates uh, on some news stories today. Tells you what's going on with Hockey Edmonton as well. We'll see if they can figure anything out. An ongoing story with the AJHL. We'll see if they can get an exemption to play and maybe resume their season as early as this weekend. The producer of Inside Sports is the one and only Dave Campbell. Your studio operator this evening is the intrepid Kellen Kennedy. My name's Reed. Thanks a lot for listening. Adler's next.
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.